look forward to uh, a great service today and uh, focusing on the family. And it is Family Day weekend, so that brought this to my mind. And the message I want to preach today is called Hope for the Family. Hope for the Family. And we're going to start off in Genesis, and we're going to look at a few different accounts in Genesis, but that is our main <coughs> launching point today in Genesis chapter 1. And, you know, I'm thankful for my family. Um, we've been at the church now for a year. Actually, it was almost a year ago that I preached for the first time here at the church. And we've been here for uh, just over a year as we started visiting. But I'm thankful for my family. It's a lot of changes, um, but they've been by my side. And um, you think about what they have to do. They have to follow me here and move to a new place. Uh, I think about my wife. She left her family. You know, we're, and I, not saying that the plane or anything, but they were very close. Now they're not too far away, but she still had to move away from her family. You know, I think about Simon, he he had to move away from his cousins. He moved away from a lot of his church friends, things like that. And they were willing to follow where God led us. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for families here. I'm thankful for Pastor and for his family. And I'm glad that they're on vacation enjoying time together. But when I look at Pastor and his family, you know, Pastor is the, the pastor of the church, but his family sacrifice a lot. And they do a lot of things behind the scene. And we're thankful for them. Thankful for you guys and the church families that we've met and, um, gone to know and love on us and invest in our lives and invest in Simon. I'm so thankful for that to see people are willing to care for us and to invest in us and invest in my son and I'm thankful for that. But family, family is a great thing and you know, everyone has difference in families and we, um, dif- different ways that we grew up, different dynamics in our home. Amanda and I always laugh at the different ways that we grew up. You know, um, Amanda, she, She's from Newfoundland. Actually, she's from born in Hamilton, but they moved from Hamilton when she was two to Newfoundland. They moved a few times in Newfoundland, and then when she was 16, they moved back to Ontario. Well, I lived in the same bedroom until I went to college, and I didn't move if you don't if you don't count college. I didn't move until after I graduated into a friend's basement apartment right after college. I lived in the same home, didn't move at all. So that's the difference uh, with us. Uh, I think about something as Something like laundry. You know, in my house, I was about this tall when I had to start doing laundry. My dad showed me the washing machine, and I'd have to climb up, reach the control, stole the clothes in, and do the dryer. Well, Amanda's mom folded her clothes for her. <laughs> I didn't have that privilege, and we joke about that because the difference in the way we are raised. Um, punishment was different. You know, growing up in a West Indian's home, I think there's a big difference. You know, in a West Indian home, punishment, punishment is swift and harsh. You know, I talked to, I was at camp a couple, uh, last weekend, and there were some people in the kitchen, and uh, uh, some of the the older people, I want to say, and they're talking about, yeah, when I was a kid, this is what happened to me, and I was right there, yeah, I thought the same thing happened to me, that old school punishment, and that, that's just the way it was, and uh, there's just difference in the way you're raised, and different siblings, some don't have siblings, others have siblings, I grew up with lots of cousins, and just I love family. Family is a great thing. But the truth is, and the unfortunate thing is, is that there's an attack on the family today. You know, family is is a main core, a structure in all of our lives. You know, out of the family comes uh, many things. You know, beginning of your life, you're born into a family. You're born into the family that you, you're with. You're born male or female. You're conceived by a mother and a father. Um, there is a marriage bond between parents. 
There's your core beliefs are taught to you. Your values are taught to you. Skills are taught to you. Care is given to you. You know, your interactions between your parents and with children and uh, with your with between parents and children and all those things are different between different people. You know, different people are taught different values. Different families are taught different skills. Different families are given different levels of care, and it's all different. You know, your culture is different from one family to another. You know, Amanda was raised in Newfoundland. I was raised in Kitchener, but I was raised by Guyanese parents, so it's a different culture. And that's that's the core of your family. That's what you're born into. And you think about the family today, and there's so much that Satan tries to attack in the family. Many of us were saddened by the news this week of that little girl in Brampton, Rhea. You know, that's backwards. The person that's supposed to protect that innocent girl took her life from her, and that's a shame. And we see things like that, and we see it throughout the Scripture, actually, this type of behavior where, in very wicked times, where it's the idea of, you're going to die for me. In a, in a point of view from a parent to a child. And it's a sad thing, and there's an attack on the family. And there's an attack on a lot of things, not just the family, but that's what we're focusing on today. And the reason there's an attack, an overall attack, is because there's an attack on truth, the Word of God. And Satan is firing at the Word of God. In First John 2.15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that passage uses that term world many times, and it's from the Greek cosmos, and it says, love not the world. And that word world or cosmos that is used there is talking about a world system, which is originating with Satan, that consists of philosophies and values that would influence humanity to think and behave contrary to God and His Word. So the world system that we live in today is basically mankind and society trying to function without God. John 8.44 says, You are of the Father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And Satan today, the father of lies, is leading an absolute onslaught on the truth of the word of God today. And we live in a society that is void of truth and is trying to function without God. And as a matter of fact, they strive to rid God of every aspect of their lives. And that's the world that we're living in. In Judges 21:25 it says in those days there was no king in Israel every man did that was that which was right in his own eyes. Does that sound anything like today? It sounds very similar to the world today doing right in their own eyes. And this world Satan's world has dethroned God already and they're definitely doing right in their own eyes. And today as we speak of family, you know, I wouldn't get it in front of you and try to speak opinion. I would dare not speak to you guys about how to raise your family. I'm just starting off. But I can point you to truth and point you to what the Bible says. And one of the things that we find in truth that Satan is so good about lying about and trying to hide is about hope. 
And it breaks my heart today to see some of the hopelessness in some of the homes that we come across. Uh, whether it's people in the church or bus kids that you come across in different ministries or kids I would see when I used to work at the school. And it, it breaks your heart to see the hopelessness that's out there. But there is hope for our families today, despite what statistics say, what the world tries to tell us about marriage and our children and our family. We have hope in Christ today, just like our theme for the year. Our hope is Jesus. And the first thing I want you to notice this morning is that there's hope from the first day. And we're going to look, start here in Genesis uh, chapter 1. We see hope from the first day. In Genesis, it's the book of beginnings. And in Genesis, we see lots of beginnings. There's the beginning of creation, uh, the beginning of man, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of family. Uh, we don't see the beginning of God because, praise God, God has no beginning and he has no end. But we see these beginnings here, things that God has ordained and laid a foundation for in his word, you know, things that are not up for question or de- debate. And that's one thing that Satan likes to do. He likes to cast doubt here. Uh, which Satan, um, which Satan likes to do in the mind of believers, and if you and if he's able to cast doubt upon Genesis on the beginning of the Word of God, then he's already planted that seed of doubt, and it will follow you through the Word of God, and you will have doubt on everything else. And Satan does that to believers, and you see of believers that try to fit what this uh, world society tries to believe. They teach evolution and. And some Christians try to believe in theistic evolution and say, well, God worked evolution into his plan. Or they have different views on marriage because of what the world is saying about marriage. But that is not true. And we can't doubt what the word of God says. We need to believe what is laid out right from the beginning in the word of God. So here we are in Genesis. In Genesis 1, we see the creation account. Uh, We see the creation of man in Genesis 1. Uh, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we see here in verse 27, it says God created man. He created a male and female. You know, God doesn't make mistakes. We were created. We didn't just happen. We weren't an accident. He created me and he created each and every one of you. And he created each of us with a purpose for our lives. I like what it says in verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. You know what that means? God created us the way he intended us to be. You know, we weren't prototypes. We weren't test models. We weren't an evolutionary process. You know, genders didn't get an update or evolve. We were were perfectly created, crafted by the master's hands, and behold, it was very 
good. In the beginning, we see marriage. In Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, it speaks about um, uh, Eve and the first marriage. We see the first family, and it talks about that in Genesis 128, about uh, replenishing the earth and multiplying. And uh, we see that in uh, Genesis chapter 4 as well, as they, they bear Cain and Abel. And we see these beginnings here in Genesis, and right away, what do we see? We see the beginning of Satan's attacks. We see the attack on men in Genesis 3. We see the attack on truth in Genesis 3, uh, verses 1 and uh, 4 to 5. And when you see that attack on truth, everything follows behind it. Everything begins, uh, begins to be attacked. We see the attack on marriage, Genesis 3, verse 6 and 12, the attack on the home. We see that in Genesis 4, 8, when Cain uh, slays his brother. We see an attack on authority. We see that throughout Genesis 3 when Satan is deceiving Adam and Eve. But there's one thing. We have hope from the first day. We have hope from the very beginning based on what the Word of God says because God was there before the beginning and He gave us the standard. He has ordained it. He has given us the blueprints and we have hope in what the Word of God has told us. And the world, the world will try to tell us differently. The world tries to tell us that there is no hope coming into this world. Sadly, the world will try to tell us that we need to terminate a fetus. They don't like to use the proper terms because they want to sugarcoat it. But what they're really saying is we need to murder a baby at any stage because there's no hope. They don't have any hope coming into this world. Their mother will have no hope bringing a child into this world. Satan has sadly blinded the eyes of this world. I I read a quote uh, a few weeks ago. It says, abortion is the opposite of the gospel. Instead of I'll die for you, it says you die for me. And that's the sad reality of abortion today. And hopelessness reigns in this world to the point that we are willing to take the life of a baby so it doesn't need to face this world. But let me tell you that we have hope Their parents have hope. That child has hope. We all have hope in Jesus Christ. Satan is the father of lies. He's the antichrist. antichrist. He is anti-gospel. He is anti-truth. But we have truth from the beginning. We know genders. We know male and female. Behold, it was very good. We know marriage is between a man and a woman. The Bible says, behold, it was very good. We have hope from the beginning of life. And we all have a purpose. In John 9, uh, verse 1, there's a passage here speaking about the blind man. And it says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. That blind man was made for a purpose. He was blind for a reason, and we see in that passage what, what, uh, transpires there with the Pharisees and his parents and things and such, that he was made for a purpose, and we're all made for a purpose to glorify and to honor God with our lives. Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. You know, we may not know the big picture, but we trust God's plan and purpose for our life. 
Jeremiah 1 verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You know, God in his omniscience knew us even before he formed us. It says, I formed thee. We were planned, and God knew us. And he set here with the with Jeremiah, he set him apart for his purpose. And he planned for him to be a prophet unto nations. And we may not know what God's plan is for our lives, but he has ordained our lives. He has set us apart for a purpose that he has laid out in his plan. And we need to trust in him and have hope in God's plan for our life. So in a world where life in its most innocent stage doesn't matter to the society, we have hope for our lives. In a world where people laugh and scoff at marriage, say it's hopeless, we have hope for our marriages. In a world where family is made a mockery of and all that we see, in Hollywood, on, on TV, in all aspects, we see a mockery made of the family. But we have hope for our families today. Because we have hope from the first day. We have hope from the very beginning because God was there before the beginning and He is in control. And we have hope in Him and His purpose and His plan for our family and our lives. So we see hope from the first day, but we also see hope from failure. Hope from failure. And continuing in, in Genesis at the beginning, we look at the life of Adam and Eve in the garden. And they lived in this paradise and they walked with God. They talked with God. They heard the voice of God. And we see this, the snare of Satan as he cast doubt on the truth of the word of God. And we see the fall of man and they fall into sin. And we see that they face consequences. They were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Uh, we see different things that happened to them, the consequences that fell upon them. But I want you to notice something. Even though they fell in sin, they were expelled from the garden, they moved on. We see that they continued on. We see in Genesis chapter 4 that they bear a son. And Genesis 4.1, it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. They bear a son, they knew that it was from God. And even though they left the garden, there was consequences, and they would see these consequences affect their sins, the effects of sin. They saw the devastation of sin in their life. We see it with Cain and his pride. He said, I will do it my way. And we see him take the life of his own brother. The consequence of the sin of the fallen man, the, the fallen sin nature of man. But what if Adam and Eve had given up? Could you imagine the hopeless feeling? You're there. It's just you, Adam and Eve. You're there. You're walking with God. You're in paradise. And you mess it all up. You're expelled. The consequence has been handed to you. The judgment's given, been given to you. You'd be, you'd feel pretty hopeless in your life. And you think, why would you, why would you bring a child into this world? You know, Eve gets the judgment, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Could you imagine Eve, the first person to give birth? She had no idea what she was in for. She didn't have it to hear from anyone else, but she moved on. They followed God. They lost their son. Their own son was murdered by their other child. Could you imagine the hopelessness and that, the, the guilt that you'd feel from the consequence of your sin? Yet still, they kept going. They kept following God. And if we're honest, we've all messed up. Today, we've all 
done wrong in our lives, but we need to move on and continue to follow God. We need not to dwell upon the failures in our life once we turn back to God and run towards Him and follow His plan for our lives. You know, there may be reminders there. There may be the effects of the consequences in our life still, but there should they should serve as a guide to keep us on track in our lives. Philippians 3, verse 13 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not looking back, not looking back at past failures or guilt, because God has already forgiven those. Not dwelling on what has been done as well. You know, you think about the Apostle Paul and the great things he had already done for Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what, I'm not even going to look back on my failures. I'm not going to look back on my past. I'm not even going to look back on the accomplishments. I'm going to look forward to what needs to be done. And I'm going to look forward to Jesus Christ and the plan that he has laid out before me in my life. We need to keep moving forward. Keep going for Christ. Keep running towards him. In the in the midst of failure, we can move on because we know we have a merciful God. And we're thankful for that. And we see that right here in the beginning with Adam and Eve. There's another family I want to look at as a warning. In Genesis 13, we see Lot and his family. And there's a warning here. Genesis 13, verse 10. The Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So we see here Lot and his family, and he's with Abraham, and, and Abraham's telling him, you choose where you're going to go. And Lot was more concerned at this time about the well-watered plains. He was thinking about financial gain. He was thinking about prospering his own life, thinking about prospering his family. And what happened? He pitched his tent towards Sodom, even though the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And what happens with Lot? One day he's pitched toward the tent, and the next thing you know, he's in the city, the gates of the city, working there. Even though he knew what was going on, he knew the reputation of the city, he knew the sin of the city, and he ended up being there in that city because of where he pitched his tent. Losing his family to the wickedness of a city, his wife, his daughters, even the ones who escaped with him, he had lost them to that city. He corrupted them. Essentially, another uh, another idea here of Lot and his daughters where he said, where he gave them to the men of the city, he basically said, you die for me. That same idea of that selfish, sinful time of putting your child before, put, uh, putting your needs before, over your child's needs. And if we're not careful, we will pitch our tents towards the world. Front row seats, looking at it. And you may think you're okay, but eventually you're going to fall into the world. You know, we could sit on the fence, but eventually you're going to fall to one side. Oftentimes we're more concerned about our financial gain. We're more concerned about the things of the society. 
that's functioning without God. We're more concerned about the sinners and the sin of this world and wanting to be there and to impress them and to try to get them on our side. But it won't be long until we're in the world as well. And when we finally try to leave Sodom, we've already lost them. We've lost our family and we wonder why. Our tents have been pitched towards Sodom for too long. And we need to be more concerned about our relationship with God and get our eyes off the city. We need to be more concerned about our relationship with God than our financial gains and where we need to, where we want to be in our lives and what we think is right. We need to be concerned about God. We need, a, we need people who are willing to lead their families with conviction, leading them in the paths of righteousness and facing God and running to God and hiding in God, not facing Sodom and pitching our tents towards it. Not a family who's willing to turn to salt with their spouse. I know many people who will not turn to God because their spouse won't turn to God. I know family members who are willing to die today without Christ and go to a godless eternity because their spouse won't turn to God. We need people to stand up and be more concerned about their relationship with God and lead their family in paths of righteousness. Don't turn our families away from God. You know, we're good at playing church, but when we get home, the cloak comes off. You know, what, what, what happens at home? What's your conversation at home? How does it affect your family? Is that pointing them towards God? Or is that turning them away from God? Is that turning them off from God? No, is there gossip? Is there lying? Is there no trust in God? Is there talking bad about church, about pastor? Is there not loving our spouse? Are we treating them wrong? Are we being something that we're, are we, we're acting like we're something that we're not? Are we treating our children poorly? You know, we've all done wrong. We've all messed up. But we need to repent and we need to move on with God in the midst of failure. We can turn back to God. You know, maybe we've led our spouses and children wrong, away from God. Maybe we've wronged or sinned against our children, against our spouse. Maybe you're trying to justify your sin, casting blame. You know, ultimately, you're wrong with God if you're living in sin trying to blame someone else. You need to be concerned with your relationship with God. Be right with God. You know, often when we're wrong with others, sinning against others, including our spouse or children, being mad, at people for a wrong reason, living in sin, you have a wrong view of God in your life. You know, who God, who is God to you? What your view of God is will affect how you live your life, will affect how you look at sin and the sin in your own life. You know, do you believe in Jehovah, the self-existent one, the I am? Do you believe in Jehovah, Sid Canoe, the Lord, our righteousness? Jehovah, Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, the one who set us apart? Jehovah, Shalom, the Lord, our peace? Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there, the one who's there for us. Have we turned our back on a God who hasn't forsaken you? Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals, the God who heals and wants to restore your life spiritually. Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord will provide, the God who provides, especially the one who provided our salvation. Jehovah Ra'a, the Lord our shepherd, the one who guides our companion. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, God our victory, our cause and our hope. Is he your father today? If you have a true view of God and who he is, that's going to affect how you treat those around you, how you treat your family, how you lead your family, how you treat the sin in your life. 
Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh, that soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So ask yourself, what are you sowing today that your family is reaping? You know, we need to get out before it's too late for a family and not lose them to this world. You know, I've seen it time after time, the destruction of many Christian families who have, have pitched their tents towards the world and thought it not a problem. And today they're, they are far away from God as possible, including their families. You know, we've all done wrong. We've all messed up. We've all failed. But praise God, we have hope in a merciful God. And we can run back to him before it's too late. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Lamentations 3, verse 21 says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. We have hope in God. And here in Lamentation, Jeremiah, the, the writer here, is at the center of hopelessness. He sees the absolute destruction of Jerusalem and God's judgment is poured out and he sees terrible things. He sees wicked things happening. Once again, he sees mothers who are killing their children. You die for me in this wicked time. And he sees the hopelessness and he feels hopeless. But he says that this recall to my mind that therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We have a faithful God who is compassionate, that is merciful, and his mercies are new every day. And when we fail in life, when we've done wrong, we can run back to God. And we need to run back to God before it's too late. We need to run back with our family before it's too late. We lose them. Psalm 40, verse 2 says, He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. And here in this psalm, you can feel the hopelessness. You, you picture a rock bottom. You picture being there at the bottom of this pit, the shame of it, the spare, not being able to help yourself. You know, maybe you've tried and you tried to climb out and you just slipped back down and failed again. And you get deeper, slipping, trying to catch yourself. But you need someone to get you. You need hope to get back in your feet, strength. And we see that in God. And it says, He hath set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. We have that hope to be back on our feet, to give that strength, the security, the stability, setting you on the right path once again to follow God. So maybe today you failed. You're in the midst of failure. You've done wrong. Maybe you've led your family in a wrong path or you're, you're trying to lead them back. We have hope for our families to go back to God. We have hope in a merciful God who's willing to receive us back to Him and to His open arms and to forgive us and to lead us in paths of righteousness. We have hope from failure in Christ. We just need to repent and draw ourselves to God. And lastly this morning, I want you to notice quickly, we have hope for following God. We have hope for following. In Genesis, we see Abraham once again. And 
Abraham had been commanded by God in Genesis 12 to follow him, to leave his country, to leave his kin and to go and to follow him with his family. And he followed God. And sometimes in our lives, God has called us to follow him. Are we willing to lead our families where God wants us to be? Or are we looking to the well-watered plains? What does God want you to do for your family? You know, I've seen people have done great things to follow God for their family. I have a friend of mine who this last year, or last year, moved his family from where he was, away from family, to Manitoba, because God had it laid on his heart to follow him there. And he's still praying to see where God's leading him, but he had to follow God. He had to move. I know people have sold businesses because they wanted to follow God. And God promised here with Abraham to bless him. He said he would be a father of nations, and he had to follow God, and he was trying to trust God, and he tried to take matters into their own hand. But eventually we see that God blessed Abraham with Isaac. In Genesis 21, it was a miracle. Abraham, at the age of 100, has this child Isaac. And Abraham's there, and he has this miracle child, and he's faced with a, a, a test that none of us would ever want to face here in Genesis 22. And God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your miracle child. And you know what? Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. He obeyed. And how did he obey? What did he do? He depended upon God and his promise. He didn't depend on his feelings, because if you were going to depend on your feelings, you would not dare try to take your child and sacrifice him. But he trusted God and his promises. He didn't depend on others. He wasn't there with Sarah. The two men that he had went with, he told them to stay back. He was there with his son and with God, and he trusted on him. He depended on God and his promise. And we see that God provided hope and time. He provided the sacrifice. Abraham needed to be where God had directed him in order for the sacrifice to be there, the hope of the sacrifice of the lamb. And God provided it in time. And oftentimes, I believe, as Christians, we forget that, those of us with children, we forget that God has given us our children. You know, are we willing to give our kids back to the Lord? Are we holding them back from what God wants for their life? And I've seen it before. People, parents have held their children back and said, you can't do that. I will not let you go. I won't let you be a missionary. You will not be allowed to marry that man if he's going to be a missionary to that country. And we hold them back because we think we know better. And what about our own lives? We often forget that our lives belong to God and we need to give it back to him. But we have hope for following Christ in our lives today. And that's the key. We want hope for our families. We want hope in our lives. We need to follow God and his plan and where what he has planned for our lives. So we have hope for our life today. We have hope for our families. You know, each and every one of us have a purpose. Psalm 139, I read it before, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully wonderfully made. In John 10.10 10, it says, The thief, thief cometh not but for the steal and the kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, we have hope for our life. God has promised us a more abundant life. And we see the sad reality of this world that are, we're killing innocent children, saying there is no hope. But we have hope. We have it laid out in the Word of God. We have it through Jesus Christ. And we need to share that hope with others. 
We have the hope of eternal life. If you're here today and you don't have hope, maybe you're one of those people that are hopeless. You don't know what lies before you. We can have the hope of eternal life. Titus 1 verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. John 10, 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we have the hope of eternal salvation. We have or the hope of eternal life. We have hope of a more abundant life here on this earth if we follow God in our lives. So I hope today that you're following God, you're following His plan, that you're following that purpose He's laid out for your life. And that in the midst of this world and the hopelessness that they try to tell us there is, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. In the midst of failure in our life, that we would have hope in Jesus Christ and that we'd run, we turn back and run to God. And that we'd have the hope of following God and His plan in our lives and our family's plan today. Let's pray as we bring this service to a conclusion. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You've given us truth in Your Word. And we thank You that we have hope in You. We thank You that we have hope for our families, Lord. And I pray that each and every one of us here today, Lord, would reflect on our hearts, Lord, and to look at ourselves, Lord, and to look at our relationship with you and make that number one. Lord, that we'd be following you. And I pray for everyone here with a family, Lord, that we would be looking to you and that we'd be leading our family. That we'd not be pitched towards the world, Lord, but that we'd be leading our family to you in your path, Lord. And that we'd have that hope. And that anyone here in the midst of failure, anyone here that has messed up or they feel hopeless in that, Lord, that they... Remember the mercy that is found in you and that they're new every day, Lord, and that they turn and run back to your open arms, Lord. I pray that each and every one of us here today would walk out of this place closer to you, Lord, and with a renewed hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.